Good morning, West Falls Church. Pastor Thomas here. Hope you guys are having a great morning together thus far. I'm sorry I'm not there with you this morning, but we as a family, we're actually out in sunny Southern California right now. We needed our beach fix. It'd been a couple of years since we'd seen the beauty of the ocean and Chatfield, it just wasn't cutting it. But don't worry, it's just for a week. We'll see you next Sunday. But this morning, I'm super excited. You get to hear from Pastor Nathan. Pastor Nathan is one of my favorite people in this place, one of my best friends, in fact, and he's an amazing minister, a great speaker, tremendous associate pastor. And this morning, I think you're going to notice a little something different about him. He looks a little smarter than he did a couple of weeks ago. You know why that is? Pastor Nathan just graduated from Denver Seminary. After five years of working for us full-time here, doing youth ministry stuff, helping me out in so many different ways, while also taking a bunch of classes at the same time over at the seminary, he just wrapped up his master's degree, and we couldn't be more proud of you, my friend. So would you help me in congratulating him on a job well done and an amazing accomplishment? Uh, maybe ooh and ah a little louder this morning during a sermon, and make sure you laugh at all his corny jokes. Enjoy the morning together, and enjoy the sermon. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> that was a sermon. All right. Um, I, uh, I did not expect that. Thank you. <laughs> I did not expect that this morning, but um, at our graduation ceremony, um, the president of the seminary said, nobody gets to graduation on their own, not without the support of many people. And um, to this church. You were on that list, so thank you. Thank you very much. And I had hoped to start the sermon on a lot lighter note, so let's pray. And uh, <laughs> All right, Heavenly Father, uh, truly, thank you. Thank you for um, this body that uh, has been so patient and so gracious to walk next to me personally um, as I, I just had the incredible opportunity um, of just learning all about you. And so, um, I pray this morning that as we look at your word, as we open your word, that you will just let it be your words, Lord. Um, that's the only way that this can happen. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So let me ask you a question. How many of you would say in your life, as you look back, there has been a moment that as you look back at that, at that moment, it didn't really mean much at the time. But as time has gone on, as life has happened, as you look back, it meant everything. How many of you have had the, one of those moments? Well, for me, uh, the earliest one that I can remember, I, I remember the day I was five years old and one day. All right, it was May 25th, 1985. And I will never forget, my dad came in and he said, Nathan, you now have a little sister. And I went... I got this. And then as time went on, I realized the magnitude of that event. It changed everything. I mean, sharing birthday parties, sharing everything. It, it, it was just awful. All right. And uh, honestly, Kyla, my sister, if you're watching this, I do love you. Uh, but it hasn't been without its battles. And, and, uh, but not long after that, about a year later, there, there was an event that at the time, I was probably too young to understand the magnitude, but as life has happened, as I look back, uh, 
that moment meant everything. It was about a year later, my parents, we were living in Blair, Nebraska, when I was six years old, and I remember them saying, Nathan, we're moving to Colorado. And at that age, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to miss my friends, but I only met them like recently, and so I, I just didn't think anything of it. And yet, I now think back and I go, wow, I love life right now, but I wonder what could have been. I mean, I'd probably have a successful career in the NBA if, if we hadn't moved. Or, or as you saw in announcements, I'd probably successfully model men's rompers, you know, uh, right here, this picture. By the way, you know how you know this picture is fake? Because I am standing taller than Thomas in this picture. And while I wouldn't rule out wearing that pattern, um, slap me if I ever show up in a men's romper, okay? I'm praying that's a joke. Anyhow, all that being said, we not only see those moments in our personal lives, but I think throughout the history of this country, you see it. On the morning that Abraham Lincoln gave the Gettysburg Address, it, it was not thought of. It was not known as the Gettysburg Address that we know looking back. In fact, on the morning that he gave the Gettysburg Address, he wasn't even the featured speaker. It was a man named Edward Everett, and Edward Everett was slated for two hours to speak, and he did speak two hours. But before he got up, Abraham Lincoln was asked to give a few appropriate remarks for two minutes. He had two minutes. And the next day, the next day when, when surrounding um, papers and surrounding states covered it, they gave a blurb about Edward Everett and his speech, and then most of them didn't even mention Abraham Lincoln. You know what they talked about? Rumors of an eight-foot-tall woman roaming the woods near Gettysburg. Nobody, nobody knew the magnitude of what had just happened. Nobody whatsoever. Same with Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. On the morning he gave that speech, his advisor it's a man named Wyatt Watkins. You know what he said to him? He said, um, Dr. King, leave out the I have a dream part. Martin Luther King had used that before. And he said, leave it out. Just leave it out. It was a hot day. There were numerous speakers before him. And Wyatt said, these people don't want to hear about dreaming. They don't want to hear about dreaming whatsoever. Well, it wasn't until a woman a couple rows behind Dr. King named Mahalia Jackson she said, tell them about the dream. Tell them about the dream. And he went in to what we now know is the I have a dream segment of that speech. And what's interesting is in the year 1999, 137 scholars who, who specialize in public speaking and public address, you know, they convened and they named that speech the greatest speech of the 20th century. But nobody that day recognized the magnitude of that moment. Now, here's why I bring all this up. Because there is something incredibly, incredibly um, inspiring but also frustrating about this dynamic. Because the truth is, you will never know and I will never know what maybe our moment of greatest impact in this life will be until years, maybe, after it's passed. You will never know the impact of the words you say to somebody or a conversation you have with somebody until it's in the past, until time goes by. You will never know 
whether the what the impact of an opportunity you missed or took advantage of was until years down the road. Same with mistakes. And I don't know about you, but that is terribly, terribly frustrating to me because we like to know that our lives have an impact and that there is a certain magnitude to the moments of our lives. Because if I knew, and, and I don't know every single person in here personally, but if you're anything like me, here's what you probably know. That if you knew that moment was coming, you wouldn't want to miss it. And you'd want to be prepared for it. But there are some moments of our lives we may never get to know the impact we've had. You know how I know that? Because there are people who have since died that I wish I could go back and tell them just what that conversation, that opportunity, that thing they shared with me, what it meant in my life. And so the question for us is how do you walk through this life? How do you walk through this life and make the impact you intend to make? Because I don't think anybody in here wants to have a negative impact on anybody's life. But how do you walk through life and not, not affect the lives of those around you in such a way that they have to unlearn what you did in their lives. And we've all, we've all been influenced by people like that, right? We've probably all been that in some other people's lives. And so as I thought about all this, as I thought about it, it's just this underlying tension that I think goes under the, the larger timeline of our lives. As I thought about all of it, I thought, well, when, how do you walk through this life and, and a story that I've been sitting with for a while, um, it really came to life that I want us to chew on and I want us to walk through this morning because that story, that story is really a conversation that Jesus has with somebody who at the moment is not a follower of Jesus. And yet that life, as you'll see in a moment when you see who it is, is a life that if you grew up in church at all, if you've, if you've been in church at all for any amount of time in your life, you know the impact of this life. And at the same time, if you've never been in church, this speaks to you because keep in mind, Jesus is talking to a man who at the time of this conversation is not yet a follower of Jesus. And what we're gonna find out is that there is a process and there is something, there are a few things that happen in the life of every single person that God uses to make an impact in this world. And it's really nothing that we can do or accomplish, but it all lands at one question that we're going to arrive at this morning. That if we could keep that question in mind every single day, you will never have to worry about whether or not your life has a godly impact in your home, with your neighbors, in your community, in the church, in the world, wherever you go. So with that being said, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5. This morning, Luke chapter 5. And what's going on in Luke, what you've got to know is that many, of, many, many moments of, of great magnitude came about by way of the word of God. Okay, when, when Luke begins, angels show up. And you know what they're doing? They're not fighting battles. They're not doing anything incredible. They're speaking. They're speaking good news. And then as it goes on, you see Jesus is tempted in the wilderness. And his response to Satan is that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And as it continues, you see that Jesus, as he's, as he's walking through surrounding areas, he, he encounters people who have de demonic spirits and people who have disease. And with one command, he just says it and the spirit is gone or the sickness is healed. 
And so, that has just happened in Luke chapter 4 when Luke chapter 5 picks up. Take a look at these first few verses, and I want you to pay attention to something. Pay attention to where Jesus is and where people are at, and what Jesus is doing and what people are doing. You ready? Verse 1, one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, still learning how to pronounce that from seminary days, okay? But also known as the Sea of Galilee. He's known as the Sea of Galilee. With the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Notice where Jesus is. Notice where the people are. We're going to explain this in just a minute. Verse 2, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Let me stop there for a minute. If you are washing something, that means you are what with it? You're finished with it. These fishermen have just finished fishing. That'll be important in a minute. Verse 3, he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, also known as Peter, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, Notice what Jesus was doing and what the people were doing and where Jesus was and where the people were. See, the thinking back then, and I think the thinking still today is this, that holy words from a holy God are encountered really on a holy day in a holy place by holy people. That was the thinking of that day. And I got to be honest, I think it's still the thinking today. Right? If, if I want to get the word of God, then uh, I'm, I'm going to be doing my best during the week and I'm going to show up at church on Sunday. But here's the thing. You got to explain this passage to me then. Because I don't see anything about a temple or a synagogue in here. I see a holy God who showed up at a place where fishermen hang out. And, and he starts using fishermen equipment while they're doing fishermen things. And already, we're going we're gonna to see something here, that, that people that God uses to make an impact, they notice that God brought his word into our world. In other words, yes, come to church Sunday and hear about the word of God, but I think this tells us that God intends for his word to be heard and to be chewed on by all of us Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, in addition to Sunday, because he wants to show up right where we're at. In other words, if I have a problem engaging with the word of God, it is not an access issue. It is never an access issue because God shows us right here, he made himself fully accessible. Fully accessible. Uh, there's a movie. How many of you have seen the movie Hitch? Hitch. You got to go back a little ways, but it's a, it's a movie that stars Will Smith and Kevin James, and Will Smith plays this dating coach, um, and he's coaching the Kevin James character, a man named Albert, and Albert is struggling with his confidence with women, and so Will Smith is trying to coach him how he could, how he could get this girl, and so they have this scene where Will Smith says, and, and I'm not going to, um, I don't endorse this, okay, but Will Smith says to him, hey, the first kiss is going to tell her whether she wants to continue this relationship or not. That's his logic for the conversation. So he says, Albert, I want you to explain to me how you would go about the first kiss. And uh, it's just, it's, it's a total failure. And, and so Albert tries to explain it. It's not working. And Will Smith explains to him, 
here's what you need to do. You need to go 90% of the distance between you two and wait for her to come the other 10%. And I thought, oh my goodness, that is a picture of what we think the relationship with God looks like. And it's what they thought the relationship with God looks like. If I just go 90%, hopefully I can get him to come 10%. And yet this passage, you know what it tells me? That the nature of our heavenly father is that he's gonna come 100% to have relationship with us. That's a God who goes 100%. In other words, if I don't engage the word of God, it is not an access issue. I think for us here in the US, it's an excess issue. Because isn't it true we have an excess of options? When we get up every single day, our attention can go so many places, can't it? So many places. In fact, it's, it's said that in America, on average, a household contains between four and five Bibles. It is not an access issue. It's an excess issue. We have so many things going on. And when we get so focused on so many things, you know what goes out the door first? This. The word of God. And yet he says, I want to show up. I want to show up right where you're at. Now, if you're like me, you're, you're looking at this passage and you're thinking, okay, but all these people who are crowding and wanting to listen, they just saw miracles. And if I saw those miracles, I would be chasing him too. And I'd be crowding around him as well. And yet you might be sitting here going, I've been asking for a miracle. And I haven't seen one. And so it's a little harder for you and for me on those days, in those seasons, to want to interact with the word of God. And if that describes you, then pay attention to what happens next. Look at verse 4. When he had finished speaking, when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, listen to this, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And I read that and I thought, oh, the audacity of Jesus. I mean, who is Jesus by trade? What is he? What does he do? He's a carpenter. So the carpenter is looking at Peter, who is a what by trade? So the carpenter is telling the fisherman how to catch fish. Have you ever, have you ever had somebody try to tell you how to do your job? Isn't that just an incredible feeling of warmth that, that goes on? You can only imagine what, what Peter was thinking. In fact, what fishermen knew about specifically the Sea of Galilee is in the Sea of Galilee, there is a kind of fish called tilapia of Galilee. In tilapia of Galilee, fishermen there know that those fish only feed in shallow waters at night. But what time of day is this? Because remember they were washing their nets? That means they just finished fishing. So what time of day is it now? It's at the end of a long night. It's morning time. It's morning now. And so I can imagine what is going through Peter's mind. In fact, he tells Jesus how the night went. Look at, look at verse 5. Simon Peter answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught 
anything. It has been a long night full of failure. You know what this would be like? I mean, right now, if you're, how many of you are watching the NBA Finals? Okay, uh, 10 of you, all right? Well, right now, what we're getting to see in the NBA Finals are some of the greatest shooters in the world shoot hoops, okay? You got LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, names like Klay Thompson, Steph Curry. Steph Curry is known as one of the greatest three-point shooters of our generation. The other night, he attempted nine three-point shots. Do you know how many went in? Two. Two went in. Do you know what this would be like? This would be like after the game, you walking up to Steph Curry and be like, hey, why don't you make some shots? How do you think that would feel inside? And this is exactly what is happening between Jesus and Peter right now. Jesus is just like, hey, just throw your nets over. And Peter has got to be thinking, okay, it's been a night full of failure, so what you're asking is a bit insensitive. All right, this is not even the time or place that these fish feed right now, so what you're asking is a little bit unwise. We're tired, so what you're asking is a little bit unreasonable. Oh, and then there's one more thing. You're a carpenter, and we're fishermen. So you asking, well, you're just a bit unqualified. And, and I got to be honest, I see a lot of Nathan in that moment right there, in those responses, which is what makes what Peter says next so, so, so big. Let's read his entire response. Verse 5, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so. Let that sit for a minute. But because you say so. When was the last time you thought you knew better than what somebody was telling you and you said, but because you say so, I will do it. Peter finishes, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Do you know what Peter recognized here? Is that Jesus was asking him to do something that he had done dozens or maybe hundreds or maybe thousands of times before. But this time was different than all the other times. Because this time, Jesus said, Peter, I want you to do it my way. I want you to do it my way. And this is really the second thing you see in the lives of people that God uses to make an impact. They recognize that he's brought his word into our world. That's the first thing. The second thing that happens is that in the midst of maybe objecting to his word, they're open to obeying his word. And this should break down that thing inside of us that we think we have to agree with the entire Bible when we open it. I got to be honest. There are days I open the Bible and I go, I just yell. I just yell because I go, how, how can that possibly be done? And we're reminded in just a moment that it's not us who, who, do, who do it. Look at verse six. When they had done so, that's when they had let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Full nets and sinking boats. Now, full nets sounds good. Sinking boats, not so much. 
to those of us who don't fish. But to a fisherman, this had to be incredible. Because I think what Peter discovered in that moment is that when you're open to obeying the word of God, he fills nets and he sinks boats. And that looks different. I mean, a lot of times, a lot of times we, we only think in terms of the material. But I gotta be honest, I, I, I've not encountered obedience that results in that all the time. But I can tell you this, Jesus every single time will reward in some way, in some area of life, obedience to him. It might be external. It might literally be full nets and sinking boats, or it might be inside. It might be with an even greater measure of faith because that's really what happened here, is that Peter discovered just how faithful Jesus really was. See, in the lives of people that God uses to make an impact, in the midst of objecting to his word, they're open to obeying his word. It's kind of like a conversation that my wife and I have from time to time. I deal with headaches uh, from time to time. And so um, Kara being a nurse, and she's incredible at it, I, I thought when I married her, this is awesome, marrying a nurse, she, she is going to be able to like heal anything, anything. And what I discovered is she sees far worse than anything I go through. So usually um, this is her response to me. Have you taken anything for your headache? And, and what do you think? Do you think obedience is really the first thing that happens? No, it's objections. Oh, honey, I, I know about all that stuff. Okay, no, she's like, no, but you didn't answer my question. Have you tried, there's this, there's this new thing, it's called Tylenol <laughs> or ibuprofen. And, and I go into these explanations where, no, because that would require, I, I need to eat, and, and we're going to have dinner soon. I don't want to spoil it. And after 10 minutes of this, she's just standing here like, and then she lets me get done, and she goes, um, so have you taken anything? Well, I finally take something, and about two hours later, when I'm feeling better, I'm like, honey, why didn't you just tell me to take something? Why didn't you just tell me? And I think that's what Jesus is trying to get Peter to do here. Just one time. Just one time. I know you have objections. I know, I know. And guess what? We, we, we tend to think that if you have objections to God's word, then, then you're not qualified to open it. It's not true. Jesus, in the midst of objections, says, Peter, would you just be open to obeying it just once, just one time, and see what I can do? Well, Peter, he sees the full nets and the sinking boats, and look at the response. Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me. That's quite a statement, go away from me. It's because during, Jesus, or during Peter's time, and I think today, here's what we often think, that the holy moves away from the unholy. And yet, in just a minute, you're gonna to have to explain what Jesus says to Peter, if that's what you think. But we walk around every single day, and we say, oh my gosh, Lord, go away from me. And then he continues, Lord, notice the change. Before he called him master, now he calls him Lord. Because obedience also shows us that Jesus is Lord. 
You get to experience him as Lord. That, I think, is the reward of obedience. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. And then two verses later, verse 10. Look at what Jesus says. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. Well, don't be afraid? That is not what I was expecting to hear. When my sinfulness is revealed before the holy God of the universe, I do not expect to hear, and you do not expect to hear, don't be afraid. And yet that is exactly what Jesus says to you and to me. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. In other words, I'm not just going to leave you in this place. I'm going to do something through you. And this is really the third thing that I think happens in the lives of people that God uses to make an impact. He, he illuminates his word in the midst of their world. In the midst of their objecting, he, he opens their hearts to obeying. And then what he does is what you see right here. He takes his word to you, and then he brings his word through you. He takes his word to you, and he brings his word through you. And the effect of all this, verse 11, look at this. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Okay, you want to talk about parts of the Bible that I've struggled with? This verse right here. Because I have always thought that this verse is what made life full of impact. I thought that verse is what gave our lives greater magnitude. And yet, as I sat with this, as I sat with this, I thought, but that's so big. It feels so big to leave everything and follow him. But that's going to look different for every single one of us. And I realized that it's not verse 11 that gives our lives tremendous impact and magnitude. You know what it is? We've got to go back to verse 5. Read it again. Peter. Peter, who we point out, all the, we love to point out failures about Peter, but on this point, Peter got it right. Look what he says. Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so. But because you say so. Do you want to know what that statement really is pointing at? I mean, all those different things that can happen in the lives that God uses to make an impact, that, that's his doing. And so the question for us is, how do we get there? How do we position ourselves to be used by God? And I think Peter's statement is the key. Something that has to happen in the heart of every single person who wants to be used by God to make an impact, a godly impact, it, we, we have to carry around this question that I think Peter answered right here. Here it is. Does God's word override my word? Does God's word override my word? Does it? And that's going to look different for every single person in here. Because some of us are in a stage right now where the crowd is at. 
where we just need to get into greater, closer proximity with God's word. And so for them, they just had to crowd around Jesus and listen and sit while he taught them. And so maybe for you, the next step is just come back next week. Come back. But maybe between now and next Sunday, what if you took one of those four or five Bibles in the house and you opened it up? And if you don't know where to start, call somebody. You don't have to do it alone. You really don't. If you don't have a Bible, come talk to us. We will get you one because access should never, ever be the issue. That's what it looks like for some people. For some in here, it's actually more you're dealing with some objections right now. You open God's word and you just go, well, it's great for them, but that's not my experience. That's not what I'm dealing with. And, and for you, and, and I got to be honest, many days this is me as well, the greatest thing we can do is just say, Lord, make me open to obeying just one, even if it's just one verse. I can't remember who said it, but one person said, if all we did was try to live out one verse of the Bible for the rest of our lives, we could spend the rest of our lives just doing that. And then for some, God's word overriding my word, well, it's, it's that tendency. If you've been walking with Jesus for years and you call him Lord, you're in that spot that Peter said. We say, go away, I'm a sinful man. And maybe the greatest thing you could do is say, Lord, I need you to speak to me. Your word to me, I want, you to become, I want it to become your word through me. So overwhelm that side of me that feels like a sinful man who can't be used by you. Does God's word override my word? One story and I'm done. Uh, many of you have heard years ago, about 12 years ago, 2005, um, there, there, was a, there was a moment in the years leading up to that where I just wanted a closer, closer relationship with God's word. And so I came across this passage about how before I put you together in the womb, I knew you. And that was sitting with me. And I still remember to this day the prayer and the timing of what happened next. The prayer was, Lord, show me who you've made me. Show me who you've made me. And it was probably about a week later, my wife said, hey, Nathan, you know what you should consider? You should think about working with junior high kids. And I was like, no. They are the most awful creatures on the planet. That's what I was thinking at the time, all right? Junior hires, don't worry. This, this will be redemptive for you. I love you guys. But at that time, I just went, no way. Then Ryan Long comes around. Nathan, he had not talked to Kara. He says, okay? But Nathan, you know what you should think about doing? Working with junior high kids. And I was like, no. That is a terrible idea. Well, have you ever tried to tell God you'll, you'll never do something? Yeah, so three years of this. Three years of this went by. And 2005 was the culmination of that three years of saying no. And God, in his way, shifted something in my heart. And I was like, okay, I'm going to give this a shot. And um, I'll basically tell God, see, I told you. And so first night of junior high, I show up. Six kids, eight leaders. Six kids and eight leaders. And I, I remember looking at the sky going, I told you, I hope you've learned your lesson. <laughs> and one of those kids, you had five of them who hung out with each other and the, the other leaders. There was one kid, Sean. 
Sean, just every single week, there's a ramp over by the church office. He would get out of his mom's car straight to the ramp and just go, he would just go walk by himself. And every single week became this, this chore of running over to Sean and going, Sean, come on, come hang out with us. Come on, come hang out, come hang out. You know, what's going on in your life? How's everything going? What can I pray for you for? And uh, Sean hung out with us, but pretty much did this same thing for like two years, two years straight. Well, I didn't see Sean for, for a number of years after that. Meanwhile, there's another, another couple girls in the group. We had Allie and we had Alex, and um, they, were, they got very involved in the group. And I still remember one um, Friday night activity. We scheduled bowling, and I had made this, made this flyer, and um, about like 15 kids were coming around at the time. Made this flyer that I thought was the coolest thing in the world and mailed it out to all the kids about this bowling night. And I said, hey, excuse me, if you're going to bring friends, I need you to let me know so that I can reserve enough lanes. And Alex texted me or called me and she's like, hey, Nathan, I'm bringing 47 friends to the bowling night. I was like, 47? First of all, you're a junior hire, which means you're going to bring two, okay? Every time I've heard this, it's just they bring two. And that would like triple this group, okay? And so this is probably six months into working with junior hires. And sure enough, that night, these kids I've never seen before start coming through the door. And they've got a flyer in their hand that is better than anything I have ever put together in my life that this junior hire Alex made, okay? And that night, 47 junior hires that had been invited by Alex walked through the door. We took... 120 kids bowling that night. And uh, immediately, God's word was, um, Nathan, have you learned your lesson? And I was like, yes, sir. Yes, I have. But all that was going on in me that whole time was I'm not wired for this. Well, a month ago, a month ago, I'm at graduate, the graduation ceremony from Denver Seminary. And somebody walks up, and it's, Sean. And Sean is graduating. This was actually really embarrassing for me, okay? He's 12 years younger than me, and he's graduating with his master's at the same time I am. And then I was like, oh, Sean, what's next for you? You know, what are you doing? And he's like, well, I'm, I'm going over to St. Andrews in Scotland to study theology. I was like, wow, not only have you caught up to me, but you are sprinting right past me because I'm stopping right here, okay? But sometimes God gives you a glimpse of full nets and sinking boats. So about a month and a half ago, I'm standing, officiating Allie, that girl in junior high, I'm officiating her wedding. And in the middle of her vows, you know who's at the center? Jesus. It's a vow that Jesus would oversee their home. A week after I graduate ceremony, you know whose wedding I'm officiating? Alex. And at the center of her vows, do you know what she says? I vow to pray and to seek Christ overseeing our home. Do you know what that means for a family going forward when that is the foundation? And then last week, had the privilege of being on the youth trip with the high schoolers, and I looked around, and it was the most difficult week because I had spent years with these guys. And yet I started looking around, and what was so fulfilling was that the ones who were leading these high schoolers down the street, the ones who were leading these kids as they put, they put together care packages for the homeless in Dana Point, 
were former students in the youth group. And I sit there and I think, wow. I mean, to think I almost said no. That question, does God's word override my word? I almost said no. I'm captain of my life. I decide when the nets go out. I decide how I'm going to live my life. And yet, here I, I'm looking around, and I'm just going, man, I, I don't feel like I made anything happen. Do you want to know where impact starts? It's being able to answer this question, yes. Does God's word override my word? And I will tell you from personal experience, it will change everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, wow. Um, (laughs) So none of this journey has been part of my plan. And I know, I stand in a room of people who as they look around at their lives, it's probably not going to plan if it's anything like my experience. And yet, your word, your word shows up in our lives every single day. And so I pray this. I pray that you would open our eyes to seeing your word in the midst of our world, not just Sunday, Monday through Saturday plus Sunday. Lord, show us where your word is showing up in our world every single day. Lord, I pray that for all the objections to your word that are happening in our hearts, maybe even right this moment, open our hearts to obeying just one part of it so that we can see just how faithful you truly are. And and Heavenly Father, speak your word to us so that you can bring your word through us. That is a promise. And I I just, as as, as someone who's gotten to see that promise, I know your plan is truly so much better. So I pray that everyone in here would experience that, that they would impact homes, neighbors, community, church, the world that they go to work in or live in or play in or whatever it is. But Lord, write on our hearts this question every single day. Am I willing to let your word override my word? We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being here. We'll be back to the Heaven Series next week.